Good morning, everybody. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome to those of you who are usually downstairs at this point in the service. It's good to have you here. And hey, I want to just kind of give you a little heads up. One thing that you can do as you're if you like to keep lists, if that's like something that helps you kind of keep track as you're a kid during the service, I'm going to say the word way like a lot. I don't know how many times I'm going to say it, but if you are right, you know, tell me and uh, next week maybe I'll give you a prize because we're all about the prize life here apparently. <laughs> so uh, over the next eight weeks, we are in a vision series asking what it means to follow Jesus together in this cultural moment? What are we doing as a community of believers? Ultimately, why do we gather with God's people in this place? And we sum this up by committing to practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. And the way we think about that is if the end game for all of creation is participating in God's work of renewal, making things here in Atlanta, in Decatur, in wherever you call home, as they are in heaven, then practicing the way of Jesus is how we navigate that together. And so with that, I'm going to focus on the first half of that statement, practicing the way of Jesus. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14, and then I'm going to circle back around and read verses 24 through 29 at the end, mixing it up just a little bit. So, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road, or the way in some translations, that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 1, for those of you who were here last week, ends by contrasting two ways. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Uh, not saying that God is doing that destruction, just kind of a statement of fact that if you choose the way that doesn't lead to life, it's going to be harmful for you. It's an image that Jesus comes back to at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the word that we translate as the way, or some translations like the NIV have road, the word in Greek is hodos. I want you all to try to say that with me. Hodos. That's just fun to say, right? Like I've been saying that in my head all week. Hodos. Apparently that's just fun for me. But Literally, it means a way or a path that you would travel down upon or a road that you would journey upon. But it's also kind of this word picture for life. It describes the movement toward a well-ordered, deeply rooted life that we are invited to travel upon in apprenticeship to Jesus. Uh, it's a really common image in the Bible. It appears over 700 times in the Old Testament. That word hodos appears over 100 times in the New Testament, 66 of which are said by Jesus himself in the Gospels like this one that we just read. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the hodos that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the hodos that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
Jesus is saying that there is more than one way on offer. There is a way, a hodos of life that you journey down that leads to pain and heartbreak and destruction. It's a broad path and the currents of whatever cultural system you find yourself in will naturally sort of direct your heart and your life toward that path. Jesus says it's very popular. Lots of people take that path. But he also says then that there is a whole other way that leads to life. It leads to renewal. And it kind of begs the question, is he talking about the future? Is he talking about the present? Is he talking about the reign of heaven? Is he talking about earth? What's the deal? And the short answer to all those questions is yes. Jesus is saying that the way that you follow in this life, in the present, puts you on a trajectory toward the future. The path that you travel upon now, it will be in continuity with who you become in the future, in the age to come. Another example of this is this encounter that takes place in all four Gospels. Uh, This takes place in, in Matthew. When the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way, the hodos of God, in accordance with the truth. And this tells us that the Pharisees, they saw Jesus as a rabbi, as somebody who had the authority to teach the way of God. And it is this way of life that leads to flourishing. Now, before the word Christian came about, this same word picture of, of life with God, the, the way, was used all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the book of Acts to describe communities and people who followed Jesus. They were known as people of the way. Just a few examples of this really quick. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, Saul asks for letters to the synagogues. This was before he became a follower of Jesus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, he could arrest them, put them in jail. Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. He has now become a follower of Jesus, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Some of those in the synagogue became obstinate. that They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. And about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Paul then goes before the Jewish leaders as he is arrested. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And then on trial before Governor Felix, he says in his defense, I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. All of that is to say, That followers of Jesus in the earliest days when they knew each other, when they would describe each other, when they describe who they are, they would say that they were followers of the way. Way before, like the Mandalorian came about and made that cool again. And so one of the major themes that is all throughout the Bible, that's kind of hidden in plain sight, is that the way of Jesus is just that. It is a way of life. It can't be reduced to theology. Uh, a collection of ideas about how the world works, even though it is part of a rich intellectual background that provides the grounding on which things like you know, the sciences, the arts, the humanities, uh, things like justice, they all have their, their root in that. 
But it's also not just a set of ethical commands, you know, do this, don't do that. Although it's clear that there are many things that we do, these bodily habits that we form, these desires that take hold of us to shape our hearts, some of which will lead to flourishing and others will not lead to flourishing. Instead, it is a whole life commitment to patterning our lives, heart, soul, mind, and strength to the one and after the one who described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I grew up in a part of the subculture that was all about you know, rules and obedience to the externals, whether or not those externals actually produced in you the kind of character that looked like Jesus. It was all like, you know, don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, and don't go out with girls who do. And then I met Jill. I'm just, I'm just kidding. She doesn't chew. But then when I came back to faith, I, I came back as part of this Reformed tradition that can lean, lean real heavy on the, it's all about thinking the right things about the world. But Jesus would say, and he would regularly say this, that he had a life to offer, that he had life to give, and that this way of life that he offers stretches from now into the age to come, meaning that eternal life with Jesus is not just something that's about the quantity of life, but about the quality of life that we experience. He is saying it is possible to live in the kingdom of heaven here and now. So how do we do that? Well, more and more, I have begun to appreciate the word apprentice as kind of the best word of describing what Jesus is about when he says, come and be my disciple. He's saying, come, spend time with me. Through the Holy Spirit, learn the way that I do things. Pattern your life around the aims and the goals that I have, around the way that I live in constant awareness of and nearness to the Father. That is the end goal of being an apprentice, right? It's to put yourself under the tutelage, under the learning of a master, so that by being with this person, by learning the way that they do things, learning the way that they, they exist, the way that they do their craft, you're gonna gain their knowledge and learn how to do what it is that they do. And you can't just pick up everything from YouTube, right? You have to know a real person sometimes. And the invitation that Jesus gives is to be with him so that you can be shaped like him, so that you can carry his likeness out into the world. Just a quick word on each of those things. Be with Jesus. The late poet Mary Oliver wrote that attention is the beginning of devotion. Lovely description there. And so the, the starting place of devotion to God and movement into his kingdom is simply to set our minds, our hearts on Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit. Uh, in John's gospel, we get this image of a, a vine and being connected to that vine, like uh, vine and, and branches. Uh, Brother Lawrence described it as enjoying the presence of God while washing dishes. 
And the primary ways that we learn how to be with Jesus are through the practices, things like prayer and reading the scripture and and fasting and times of silence and solitude where the mind is trained on an awareness of God's presence. And over time, these embodied habits, these these, these time-tested spiritual practices, they actually have a way of shaping our minds, shaping our heart through our thoughts and our feelings and become an avenue to train your mind back toward God, wherever you are. You know, in between meetings, on, on Zoom calls, in the humdrum of parenting, in the humdrum of being in school, so that you can experience a heart posture of being with and aware of and experience the nearness of the triune God. Now, if you're new to faith, like that is the first thing. Experience being with Jesus. Experiencing being near him, in apprenticeship to him, carving out those times in the morning, in in the day, in the night, times to just simply abide, to be rooted in him, to be present to God and to say, you know, God, you are already present. You have already been here, but I've been like a million other places. I've been, you know, on Instagram. I've been in a meeting that should have been an email. I've been, you know, thinking over that argument with my mother or whatever. I've been daydreaming. I've been somewhere else, but I haven't been present to myself, but now I'm here, and all of me is here with you. Seriously, that, like that's the first thing. Start with abiding, with pausing a few times in your day to be with Jesus, to pray, to, to read scripture. And it may feel like a discipline at first, but gradually, over time, it will begin to calibrate your heart and your mind back to God so that you can experience life. But then as you spend time with Jesus... And I don't know if this is true of just like any relationship. The more you t- spend time with people, the more kind of like them you become. That's why, you, you know, when you're real young, your parents, you know, tell you, parents, why you tell your kids, like, you know, make sure you choose good friends. As you begin to experience more time with Jesus, you'll become more and more like Jesus. And out of that place of being present with Jesus, the next goal then is to be shaped like Jesus. Or as Thomas Kempis puts it, to imitate Christ. That's really what we mean when we talk about spiritual formation, what the, what the church has called sanctification. Dallas Willard has this great definition of that. He says, spiritual formation of the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. And the reality is, We are all being shaped by something or someone. We are all being shaped by something into its image. It's just a question of whether you are intentional about that or not. Whether that's through the stories that we believe are true or the, the ones that we want to believe are true about God, about others, about ourselves. Whether it's the culture around us telling us, you know, who we should be, what we should love, what we should value, put stock in. Whether it's the voices of the past that just keep running in our head like tapes that are broken. We tend to think that we are independent-minded, that we are, you know, these rational, autonomous creatures, that we're like pioneers of our own souls. 
And I, I hate the fact that it's not true, but it's, it's just not true. The truth is we are being shaped by all kinds of things. We are all a, a hodgepodge, a max up of all kinds of things that are influencing us, this or that or the other. And so it's not a secret. Like spiritual formation is just a fact of human existence. You are being shaped by something. It's not a question of whether you're being shaped. It's a question of who or what are you being shaped by. What are you being shaped to resemble? And so I am convinced now more than ever that the greatest thing that you're going to get out of your life, the greatest thing that you are going to be able to offer to God, the greatest thing that your family and your friends are going to experience of you is not what you do, but the kind of person you become. Plot out your life 10 years from now. 20 years from now, 40 years from now? Are the things that are shaping you now going to put you on a trajectory to be more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Because the only piece of continuity that you will have between this life and the age to come is your character, who you are. And when you come to the end of your life, which hopefully is not soon, you're going to have a scorecard for success. And it's not going to be your bank account. It's not going to be your your stock portfolio or the likes or the retweets or the job title, whatever that thing might be for you. But it's going to become, did you become, through apprenticeship to Jesus, as you opened yourself up to the Spirit to shape you in community and practices, did you become the kind of person who looks like him? And so, Ridge, when you become president in 2048, the real question is not, did you become president, but what kind of president do you become? What kind of person is Jesus shaping you to be for that very important job? If you're an apprentice to Jesus, I mean, think about this. Like, the whole point of apprenticeship is to do the work that the master does, right? To bear his likeness in the world. If you're an apprentice to a carpenter, like, what's the end goal? To make really good tables, right? If you are... A, an apprentice to a, uh, you know, uh, an artist or a filmmaker or something. You're going to pick somebody whose style you can emulate that, that you want to see out into the world more. And so if you're an apprentice to Jesus, just, just think about that. The goal is eventually to be about the things that Jesus was about in the world. And Jesus' whole life work is about bringing the reign and the rule of heaven to earth. Think about the Gospels. He does this by confronting the demonic and the religious powers that oppress people. He does this by healing the sick, by praying over people, by preaching the gospel of the kingdom, by eating at the table with people who were far away from that kingdom. That's what practicing the way of Jesus looks like in whatever corner of the world you find yourselves, in whatever vocation or whatever life that you are in. And it all takes time. It takes community. But the end goal of your formation is to be the kind of person who does those things naturally. Again, I love how Dallas Willard puts things. He says, steadily learning from Jesus how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. So, be with Jesus. Be shaped like Jesus to bear his likeness in the world. 
However you want to say it, like these three categories are what we mean by practicing the way of Jesus. And when you arrange your life around these aims, the thing is, it, it, it doesn't really work as a side hustle. Like it's got to be the organizing center of your life. And that does not mean, you know, go out and quit your job and then get into ministry. Please, God, do not do that. By arrange, I simply mean getting it into your, your, your schedule, getting it on your calendar, getting it into your rhythm, your, your daily, your weekly, in your, your mornings, your evenings, in, in, in line at carpool, at, at, when you're in class. Get real intentional about it because otherwise, all of those unintentional ways that you are shaped are going to win the day. The stories that you believe, the habits that you fall into. Arrange your morning routine. Arrange your family life, your work week, so that you are experiencing the joy of God. That's what Jesus has for you. Nothing less than life. Last fall, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's the most kind of straightforward collection of Jesus' teachings about what it's like to live in the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, and it's just like brutally honest about the human condition. It's full of, you know, lust and envy and, you know, you know loving your enemies and how hard that is, anger, desire for revenge. And in the midst of all that, he says, there is another way to go. There is another hodos. And the life that he describes, I mean, it's like a really high standard. You read the Sermon on the Mount and you're just like, uh, so I'm supposed to like live like this? Do not worry about anything, Jesus says. Like, how's that working for us? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or you'll love the other. Everyone got that kind of like all figured out in, in life. And to the point that some people have just kind of dismissed it as idealism or as Jesus, you know, kind of showing us how impossible the life of the kingdom is. That idea that Jesus wasn't serious about this got so pervasive that one author had to kind of like call it out and write a book about it. Um, but if you'll notice, at the very beginning, yeah, it's a simple question. What if Jesus was actually serious? But if you notice at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Therefore, if anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then circling back to the very last part of it, he's, he's landing the plane on the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends up talking about choosing the narrow way like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and who does not put them into practice, you know, kind of in one ear, out the other. That person is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And then he ends the sermon, and he pieces out. I want to try that one day. I want to just like see how that goes. If anybody comes back the next week. 
But the point that Jesus is making is he, he bookends the Sermon on the Mount with this idea of putting things into practice because he assumes that his way takes practice. You do not just wake up and start living in the kingdom of the heavens. It takes intentionality. It takes time. It takes practice to be with Jesus, to be shaped like Jesus so that you can bear his likeness out into the world. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, because I know some of you are really tired. Your souls feel weary navigating the last 18 months of the circus that is whatever, this world. But this is so important because when Jesus says put it into practice, he is not saying just go out there and try really hard. Like he's not saying read the Sermon on the Mount and then go do it. And then, you know, come back, tell me how you do, you get a grade and we'll move on to the next thing. He is not saying, you know, lust or envy or greed. Just try really hard. That would be insane, right? Practice is not perfection. It is not about trying really hard. It is about training well. How many of you out here have run a marathon? A few of you. Awesome. Well, a lot of you. Cool. So, you know, how many of you who have not been, you know, training for a marathon, think that you could go out and run one tomorrow. 26.2 miles for reference, right? That just, that just sounds long just saying it. So how do you run a marathon? You think you could do it? Ooh, all right, now I, I want to see that. So do you just wake up tomorrow, you wake up the next day and you run a marathon? What would happen if you tried? You would die, Right? Like, I would die. If I would get to, like, mile four, and I'd be like, Jesus, take me. I'm, I'm done. I don't run. So how do you do it? Well, you get up, and you run, like, the first, you know, like a half a mile or a quarter of a mile. And then, you, and then you walk some, and then you rest some. And then gradually, over time, you keep adding more and more distance. And then toward the end of it, you taper back. And, you know, you gradually, over time, if you do this, you become the kind of person who can run 26.2 miles. Something that was out of your capacity to do before suddenly becomes in your capacity. So how do you love your enemy? Well, you start by being with Jesus, who, while we were his enemies, reconciled us through his death. You do it in community. Mike is going to talk about that next week with, with the Holy Spirit who is working in you as you practice renovating you from the inside out. Friends, we train in the way of Jesus, in relationship to Jesus to become more like Jesus so that we can go out into the world and participate in his work of renewing all things. This relates to our vision in that during the main part of the year after, after this series and into next year, into 2022, as a matter of fact, we're going to go through the gospel of Mark, and we're going to take our time, and we're just going to be with Jesus. And then we're going to be slowing down twice a year, like we have been, to focus on a particular spiritual practice. This last Lent, we went through six weeks on the discipline of Sabbath. And there was a sense, kind of in the midst of all the craziness of the spring coming out of the winter, that... 
It was this invitation to take a deep breath and simply be with Jesus. That's the secret of the easy yoke. Jesus is saying that the life that I have to offer, if you want it, come be with me. Take on my habits and my practices. Take on my lifestyle. Because the lifestyle that you adopt will, without question, produce a kind of life in you. And unless you intentionally shape the habits, the rhythms, the schedules of your life, those things will quite unintentionally end up shaping you in their image. And so Jesus' invitation, come, adopt my way of living, come, be with me. Allow the Spirit to shape you like me so that you can partner with me in bringing the life of the kingdom to this world. That is what I have to offer. No coercion. It's all invitation. And friends, the best thing about being with Jesus, about slowing down to be with Jesus, is Jesus. Amen. Now, Almighty God, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, draw us to yourself, that we may rest in you. God, we all come with a myriad of things going on in the background of our story, the background of our life. We bring those before you to rest in you. And we trust that as we do that, you will shape us in your likeness as we seek after you. You have promised that those who seek will find. And so, God, we give you our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, now, as we come to the table, I want to invite you to just take a few moments to offer your prayers to God. Um, we're going to start with our prayer of confession, so just take a moment to examine yourself, examine your heart, and come before God in just a moment. Let us pray. Merciful God, for the things that we have done and that we regret, forgive us. For the times we have acted without love, forgive us. For the times we have failed to forgive, forgive us. For the hurtful words we have said, forgive us. For the helpful words we have failed to say, forgive us. God of all time, help us to lay down our burden of regret and receive your forgiveness. Amen. Friends, having been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, it is my joy to proclaim to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Believe this and be at peace. Friends, as we come now to the table, we come knowing that this is how Jesus gathered his community together. It's, a, it's a, a snapshot of the life of his disciples, spending time with him, 
learning to be shaped like him so that they could go out and be his presence in the world after he was gone by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, friends, as we remember that, let us pray. The Lord be with you. Now lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And after he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take all of you and eat of it, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and poured it out, saying, This is my blood, the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. And so, friends, it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming his dying until he comes again. We're taking communion this morning in one of two ways. You can form three uh, rows. Uh, we'll have our communion uh, elders come forward if, if, if they would do so. And we will, uh, you can come down either of these aisles or down the center aisle. Or if you prefer, there are wine and juice cups in the back. We do this together as a body to remind each other that we need each other, that Christ is in and through us as we gather in community. And so, friends, come. The table has been set and all has been made ready.